the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Food that is dedicated to them doesn't make the food bad to eat because the gods don't even exist, right? Just as if you have that knowledge, don't walk around simply with that knowledge like, well, I can eat whatever I want. Though you can because knowledge could puff you up. The better thing is love that will build others up. And he's going to emphasize this whole thing through chapters 8 and 9 about how our faith is not exclusively about us. Following Jesus is not all about you. In fact, a prerequisite to following Him is that you die to yourself. That means giving up your ambitions, comforts, dreams, and desires if they contradict His will for your life. As Pastor Gary will challenge us in today's message, this also means putting others above yourself. This sometimes means giving up a freedom that you enjoy if it will help a fellow believer who feels conviction in that area. The health of their faith is more important than your pleasure. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Let me read through the chapter and then we will highlight basically, uh, I'm just going to read through chapter 8 and and then I'm just going to kind of summarize first what chapters 8 and 9 are about and then we'll come back and dig out these chapters. So so let's let's look here at chapter 8 together. It says this, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods, small g, and many, quote, lords, small l, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom, circle that word freedom, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. So 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapters 8 and 9, Lord willing. We'll get through both chapters. And both of these chapters really express something important. And that's the reason I had you circle the word freedom. Because these two chapters ask two questions. The first question is, what kind of freedom does a Christian have? Okay, remember, the Corinthian church, primarily Gentile converts, uh, some Jewish believers in Christ... And so because predominantly this congregation are Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ, uh, they are bringing with them all of the idolatry and all of the baggage of a Roman culture. This is first century Roman Empire. That's all they've known. They get saved. They come into the church. So now they want to know what kind of freedom do we have? Or is Christianity just simply a bunch of rules? What are some of the things we can do with some of the things we can't do? So Paul's going to basically answer this question, what kind of freedom does a Christian have? And then further in the chapter, chapter 9, he's going to ask, answer, could a misuse of my freedom disqualify me? Serious questions that are being asked that he answers in the course of chapters 8 and 9. Now, you know, this is an important topic for all of us, and particularly for those of you who perhaps have grown up in a fundamental Christian home or church, okay? This is an important question for people who have not grown up in church at all, by the way. But in particular, for those of you who grew up in a fundamental Christian home or church, and I believe in the fundamental faith, okay, and the fundamentals of the faith. But by fundamental, I know kind of a legalistic, strict upbringing in a home or a church. These might be some important questions for you to get answered as well. We're going to put the fun back in fundamentalism, friends, because it's not all about a bunch of rules and legalism. But that said, you know, even even Paul will say to the church in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, 13, he says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And Peter would echo a similar thing in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. He says, live as servants of God. So we need to get a healthy understanding of freedom because we don't want to go all crazy and start just doing whatever we jolly well want to do because that's indulging the sinful nature. At the same time, we don't want to live such legalistic lives that our perception of God and the Christian faith is simply a bunch of rules and regulations. Chapter 8, let's start again at verse 1. Here's their question that Paul answers now about food sacrificed to idols. Remember that through the letter uh, that Paul writes here to the church of Corinth, he's addressing various issues and questions and concerns. That's the way chapter 7 begins in verse 1. He says, now for the matters you wrote about, and he talks about marriage and singleness, sex and divorce. They had questions about relationships. Now they've got questions here in chapter 8 about food sacrificed to idols. Because again, this first century Rome, let's put it in some context. In that day, it was a polytheistic structure. People worship many gods. And so what would typically happen is, in the Roman meat market, you'd actually go and 
you know, in the days of no refrigeration, so they would slaughter an animal, and then they would sell it that day in the meat market. And you had to go and, and, you know, buy a pot roast for dinner that night. Well, because it was a Roman culture, what would happen is in the Roman civilization, when they would, when they would first offer these, the, you know, different cuts of meat to, to be sold in the market, they would dedicate all of this to their various gods, which are idols, because they aren't real. Now, you're a Christian now, you've just come to faith in Jesus, you're going through the meat market, you want to buy a pot roast to take home, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, all this stuff was offered first to some idol, and so now all this stuff is bad. We can't have a pot roast for dinner tonight. And so Paul's addressing this. Now, this might seem like a ridiculous question to us because, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, you don't, you don't go to Safeway or Giant or Whole Foods or wherever you, you shop and you, you don't, you don't, you know, worry about, well, this was kind of offered up to idols. But this is a cultural thing that helps us to understand other kinds of cultural issues. For them, it was this issue of meat is offered to idols. Can I buy this and eat it with a clear conscience? Now, Paul starts out this chapter by basically saying this. He says again, look at verse 1. He says, we know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And what he's going to build on here in this passage is this. If you understand God and the false gods, if you have knowledge about the true and living God versus false gods, then you know that because these gods that are you know small g don't exist, then food that is dedicated to them doesn't make the food bad to eat because the gods don't even exist, right? So he says, if you have that knowledge, don't walk around simply with that knowledge like, well, I can eat whatever I want. Though you can because knowledge could puff you up. The better thing is love that will build others up. And he's going to emphasize this whole thing through chapters 8 and 9 about how our faith is not exclusively about us. This is very important for us to understand. So again, forget the culture part about, well, we don't have meat today that's offered up to false gods. I get that. But we have this issue to deal with. Your faith and my faith must take other people into consideration on all levels. If you want your faith to be real, you have to also be considerate about other people. So Paul says, you might have the knowledge that no matter what this meat was you know, offered to, that it doesn't taint or spoil the meat. You have a better and a bigger issue here to be concerned about. And that is, what about other people who could be possibly offended by your freedom? He's going to get into all of this, so let's keep reading here. So he says in verse 4, so then about food, about eating food, sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, okay? That there's no God but one. For even if if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He says then in verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Okay, So not everyone might be as informed as you that even though this meat was offered to some false god and you know it's okay and it's clean to eat, not everybody knows this. So you better be careful and consider about other people. He says, keep reading, verse 7, Some people are still so accustomed to idols 
that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God, so we are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. He's talking about you know, the meat in particular that's been offered to idols. And then here's the key verse. Look at verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, under the, underline the words stumbling block or highlight them in your Bibles. And we're going to come back to this, but, but first for you note takers, I just want to kind of summarize this whole idea about our freedom throughout the book, book of 1 Corinthians, because Paul is going to not specifically address a list of things that you can do or can't do. All right. And I'm thankful that he doesn't, you know, make a list because then that does start to get into legalism. You know, it would be like if, and, and here are some hot button topics. Okay. Maybe not hot button to you, but I can tell you in, you know, almost 30 years of ministry, these kind of things are hot button topics for some people in the church. Things like music, music, things like alcohol, things like movies, television, uh, attire. What you, what you can, you know, wear, what is inappropriate. And so there's all kinds of opinions about what's appropriate attire, what's not, what, what are okay movies to go to, what's not, you know, is it okay to drink alcohol at all? If so, how much before you get buzzed and then it becomes a sin? So where's that line? And everybody's, what kind of music? Is it only Christian worship music? Can we listen to some secular music too? And you know, and all this kind of stuff. And people have these kind of questions and they're legitimate. Because if you really want to be sincere in your faith towards God, you want to ask yourself some questions like, well, what would God think of this? Because I got, I, I got news for you. There's not a verse in the Bible about music, in particular about secular music. You know, there's a lot in the Bible about music and worship, but not in regards to, you know, secular music. There, there's not a verse in the Bible about smoking, okay? You know, I mean, there's verses in the Bible about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and all that good stuff. But there's not a specific, particular chapter and verse about smoking. I've said this many times. Smoking won't make you go to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there, right? And so, you know, there, and, and so people want to know, where's the verse about, can I smoke? And how, is it, is it one a day? Is it a pack a day? How much, how much can I, where's a Bible verse for that? You know, and so, and, and people want to know these questions, okay? So this is the church in Corinth. They're, they're like, so is it okay to eat some of this meat? You know, is it okay for this stuff? So here's a quick survey in the letter of 1 Corinthians, because here's what Paul does. Instead of making a list of here are the things you can't do, and here are the things you can do, here's what he does do. He calls us to ask ourselves four particular questions. And these four particular questions that I'm going to take you through will serve to be a litmus test that each of us must ask ourselves in relation to some of those, if you will, gray topics. Okay? And so go back to chapter 6. I want to, I want to summarize all four of these questions together. And we're going to go back to chapter 6. And here's the first question. Is it less than beneficial? Is it less than beneficial? So chapter 6, look at verse 12. He says here, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So stop right there. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Now again, he doesn't mean permissible in, in the sense of permissiveness. 
He just means in terms of what are okay, what things in God's eyes that there's not a specific commandment about. Okay, he's, Again, he's not trying to have such license with his life that he can do whatever he wants and indulge his sinful nature. He's clear about that in other epistles. Again, Galatians 5.10, for example. But he wants to know in regards to certain things that are, quote, okay, uh, how do I know if it's okay? And one of the questions we are to ask ourselves is, is it less than beneficial? Because he says all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for us. So we need to ask ourselves, is it potentially detrimental for me rather than being good for me? Because even though it might be okay, if it is not good for me, then it is not right for me. Now again, this may vary for each individual to some degree. Again, we're not talking about clearly defined sinful things in the Bible. We're talking about areas of some liberty. And what you might have as a certain liberty in a certain area may not be an area I feel the freedom in, and vice versa. And so what we need to do is ask ourselves some of these questions. Is it okay? All right, everything's permissible as long as it's not sinful, but not everything is beneficial. It may not be good for me. Um, I, I will, you know, ask myself these questions in relation to stuff that I watch, and you know, our family together, you know, at different times. Is this an okay TV show? Do we feel okay about this? Do we have a clear conscience about this? Is this the kind of movie we want to go to? You know, is this, is this not a good movie to go to? Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever gone to a movie and in the middle of it felt like, ah, this, not just because it was a terrible movie, but because you felt like, ah, this is personally offensive and you got up and walked out of a movie. Let me see your hands. Good for you. Good for you. By the way, you can get your money back for that. I don't know if you knew that. You don't have to just leave empty-handed. You can leave and go up to the counter and say, I don't like this movie. It was offensive to me. They will give you your money back in case you didn't know that. That's, that's happened on a few occasions. I, I speak from personal experience. But anyhow, so I'm going to give you an example. Now, now, this is an example. This is purely an example of my personal conviction, okay? So a few years ago, a movie came out called Lone Survivor. I'm not going to ask who saw it. It doesn't really matter to the story here, Okay. And it was a story about the Navy SEAL team and, um, unfortunately, a tragic uh, attempt to, um, uh, to go on a mission in Afghanistan, kill a Taliban leader. Um, here's the thing. True story, true story, valiant heroes, valiant heroes. Some people lost their lives uh, serving our country. Okay, But the movie also had 150 F-bombs in it. Now... Can you legitimately do a movie about a Navy SEAL rescue team trying to take out a Taliban leader and avoid that language? Really not. If you want it to be realistic, you know, I'm sure the guys, you know, those kind of guys are not sitting around going drats. You know, I mean, they're just, they're not, okay? So they're not, they're not on the battlefield going fudge. You know, they're not doing that. So I get that. If you really want it to be realistic, you're probably going to have to do all that. But see, personally, I felt like that's, that's not good for me. I don't want, the, I don't want 150 F-bombs in, in my spirit, so I won't go to something like that. That's me, all right? Now, my wife and I have a personal conviction that there's really not much that is beneficial in an R-rated movie anyway. That's us. That doesn't have to be you. There, frankly, are some PG-13 movies we got up and walked out of before. 
You know, so um, it, it, it comes down to asking yourself some questions because you have to live with your clear conscience. And so, again, I don't make that as any reference to any shame. If you saw Lone Survivor, that's your deal, and you can have a clear conscience about it. That is one example where I just wouldn't be able to, because I, I just don't think that would be good for me. So I don't want that in my spirit. I don't want to sit there for two hours and hear the F-bomb drop more than 150 times. By the way, a good resource, in case you don't know, is plugged in online. If you go to that website, they will critique movies ahead of time so you know this kind of stuff before you even have to go to a theater, pluggedinonline.com. So that's a good resource if you want to screen movies. But, you know, these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves. All right? So every person needs to settle certain things in his or her heart so that you can have a clear conscience. That's, that's the bottom line for this first question. Is it permissible? Okay, it might be, but is it beneficial? And if it's not, then I, I, don't, I don't want to exercise my freedom in that area because it may not be good for me. All right? Second question is in the rest of that verse. Look again, still here, chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So that's question number two. Could it master me? If, if you answer yes to any of these questions, then you are misusing your freedom. Could it potentially master me? It's an important question. Is it potentially addictive? And could it take control of my life? It might be okay, but okay does not make it right if I could become a slave to it. Simple example, I had a friend years ago who was a great investment banker and realtor, and this guy was flipping property and making money hand over fist. But he said to me one day, he said, Gary, I had to just walk away from all of it. I said, why? He said, because I would be up late on my computer into the wee hours of the morning, crunching numbers and obsessing with my investments and, and making sure that everything was, you know, profitable. And what do I have to trade as soon as the stock market opens up the next morning and that opening bell, I got to start to trade. And he says, I was going nuts. I was actually going crazy. And I was, I wasn't, you know, engaged with my family. I was neglecting my wife. Stock market's not wrong. Real estate investment's not wrong. All those things are okay. But in his case, you see, he said, I became obsessed with it and it became something that controlled me and it became addictive. I had to walk away from it. And these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. It, it, it might be certainly okay, but if it has the potential to master us, control us, become addicting, it's not good. So don't use your freedom then if it has the potential to master you. Then he asks here, now go back to chapter 8 where we were. In chapter 8, here's the third question that he, that he asks in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So here's the third question. Could it stumble others? Does my freedom have the potential of stumbling others? Now, this is, this is a very challenging question because, again, it means that your Christian faith is not just exclusively about you. And some people have that misguided notion. They think, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because it's just between me and Jesus. No, it is not. 
And people need to get this because I know too many people who don't get this. They think it's just about me and Jesus. It's what it's whatever Jesus thinks is okay, and I have a clear conscience about. That's what I'm going to do. Now you got to ask these questions. And the third one is, well, wait a minute. In the exercise of my freedom, could it all could it damage somebody potentially? Could it be a bad witness to somebody, even though I know it's cool? If they have a problem with it, I need to take them into consideration. Your faith is not limited to your own bubble. Your faith should be something that you live out with the potential of it either being a catalyst to bring someone to Christ, okay? This is what your faith will always be, either a catalyst to lead somebody to Christ, to point them in that direction, or it will be a stumbling block to somebody from coming to faith in Christ. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians. Keep reading on your own to discover many other inspiring and motivating things that apply to you today. We'll look forward to you joining us on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.